Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Here at Small Doses, I'm always trying to find ways to use this platform to amplify voices and stories that not only need to be heard, in my opinion, but that I feel can really excite y'all as listeners, empower y'all, enrich y'all, educate y'all as listeners. And so what I wanted to do was create a space for our educators, honoring them, understanding them, and really just getting to know more about what the unique thing is that they are doing as educators. As I'm looking around the current landscape of our politics, of the society, of this American community, educators are under attack. There is a consistent narrative being said of educators as groomers of children, as educators who are harming children by telling them the truth of American history, of educators as being overly respected for their position and their learning in the educational field. I consider all of those things to be absolutely ridiculous and completely counterproductive to creating a society of thoughtful, compassionate, intellectual beings. And I don't just mean intellectual in the space of actual like facts and knowledge. I mean emotionally intellectual and kids who are going to grow up to be adults in a world need educators who are regarded, supported, and respected so that they can regard, support, and respect these children and their families in continuing to not groom, but to shape and to inspire and influence them as they develop. So here at Small Doses, we're beginning the educator series. I'll be talking to a number of different educators and just people in the education field around why their work is so unique, around not just why their work is unique, but around why the educational profession is needed and what support is lacking. I want to hear from them about their style. I want to hear from them about their joys, about their downfalls in the field. And I want to hear from them what we who are not educators can be doing to help supporting not only them, but the children who are in their classrooms. I bring to you first today's guest, Valencia de la Clay Bell. You literally changed my entire life. I don't know if you know that. When you see people thanking people, like it's legit. Like, so this is one of those like moments. I I don't even know if now is the time, but I'm sure. <laughs> I was like, I guess we started. <laughs> yes, but for real, like that. So the way I used to post, this is you know, Instagram was so different. Everything was different back in those days. And I just woke up that morning. I had went to some professional development. Some guy taught us about storytelling. And it was in my head that morning, his formula. And I wrote a little piece, kind of like what he did. And you came out of nowhere and were like, Valencia, I got you. You reposted it and we got everything we needed within 24 hours. I don't know if I ever told no, you No, I didn't know what. that. Well, first and of all, can everyone- you just tell people what The Blossoms is? So the Flourishing Blossom Society for Girls is our program for young girls who need mentoring. um, And we give them so much 
that we were literally like, where do we start? So where did we start? Excuse me, because we had to go kind of backwards. So we're on a little pause break right now. Mm -hmm. But what we did at the time where we were taking girls every summer overseas. So we did Puerto Rico. We did Dominican Republic. Cuba and um but that trip we we didn't know where we were getting funding from like this is this is why like I had to take a step back because I did not know how to do what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even expect to get that money like that. I thought my school was going to end up paying for it. So like I literally had to take a step back as an entrepreneur to figure out, oh shoot. And then once we started taking the girls, we bringing them back and I'm like, "Why? What is this is not effective? What is the impact? I didn't even know that my business plan should have thought about all of those beforehand. This is like mm. a whole sidebar conversation. I think this goes under process though. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> if I'm trying to follow the formula, but yeah, like that's a whole conversation, but yeah, you turned me up because from that I was like, "Oh wait, I actually people like I I got so much support and then people really respect you. I don't know if you know who you are, so I'm going to just tell you real quick. Damn. People listen to you. I was listening to the last episode just to prepare myself and you were talking about how you decided you were not going to try to get cute every time like you just wanted to be yourself <laughs> and I wanted you to know if you don't have to get cute because it's something about when you speak that makes us listen no matter how you look there's something that you're saying that we know we need to hear and so thank you for sharing your platform with me and pouring into me and then a lot essentially pouring into my girls our girls so thank you Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I mean, so we've, we've, we've dove into this episode, y'all. So if you, if you are just like, what's happening? This is what's happening. What's happening is this is uh, the beginning of the first of many of our Small Doses Podcast Educator Series. You all have heard us do the Artist Series, where we talked to visual artists about their process, about their journey, about their style. And as I have witnessed the uh, continual attack on educators and education, just continuing to gr have a groundswell and to balloon behind people like DeSantis and Betsy, De Betsy DeVos, et cetera, I said, you know, I want to... I want to center educators. I am a huge believer that education is the one of the very key elements to our liberation, and that's also why they're attacking it. Uh, but I also feel like sometimes we say things like that, and it feels very uh, existential and kind of very ethereal, and it's like, no, no, it's on like a very basic bottom line, and there are people who have committed themselves to getting them to getting people across that bottom lines, and those are educators, and they all have different processes, different journeys, and different styles, and as you all, my listeners, who I know are responsible and who I know consider themselves to be... Uh, who consider themselves to be obligated to making education a key, a key component and proponent of your own lives and of your children's lives and of your community, I know that you all would be curious about the different types of educators and the processes and the journeys that they're doing because you want to support that and because you want to be as informed as you can on the different options for education. Because I think there's also only been like one real version of educator and education that has been kicked and pitched to us. And we all know that as humans, we all have very different ways of learning, of receiving information. And we also know that we have different ideas, not even ideas, that's not the word. We have different um, measures of what is genius. And for a 
a lot of our society that's only measured by one thing and it's very white supremacist-ish, okay? So cut it out. I remember going to Google one time and Google saying that um, they don't have diversity because they just haven't been able to like get people from other communities that are like at the level of information that they're at. And I'm just like, you're first of all, you're not even in those communities. So cut it out. And two... It's also just the understanding that like the there are people in those communities that have a bunch of information that you need that you all don't even regard as important and that's why you know you'll continue to be very bland and white. But that's another conversation. This conversation today is with Miss Valencia de la Claybell, who I came to know as at Valencia Valencia on the Instagrams and who approached me one time. Where, where were we at? We were at like a voting. Mm-hmm. It was like we women. Like a women's political kind yeah, of. Yeah, it was one of those. Yes. And you walked it up to me cool. and you're like, I'm Valencia Valencia. And I was like, yeah, Valencia Valencia. Like, <laughs> and I just, I don't even know how I came across your page, but I was so intrigued and just so inspired by the way you were communicating as an educator with your students. And it was just very unique because it was also like vulnerable, but stern at the same time, you know, and it was very much giving like, I see you, but I'm not your friend, but I see you, which is, (laughs) which is, I think something that our, our kids really respond to that doesn't get tapped into enough. But Valencia, I would love for you to tell our audience at Small Doses, you know, what even, what was educate, what was your education like? What was your experience in academia like before you stepped over the bridge into being an educator yourself? Oh, that's a good question. So I'm from New York. So I went to school in Westchester. Woodlands High School, all Green in Westchester. Schools. I'm from New York. Westchester, I went to school in Westchester. It. Do you remember that YouTube? <laughs> Westchester, that's it. That's the old one. But yes, it's so interesting because I'm actually from Harlem, but my grandmother did not want us to go to school there at all. Mm. What? Where in Harlem? So if um, 152nd Broadway. Shut up! I lived on 151st. I lived on 151st in Amsterdam for 12 years. What? Oh my God! Next See, to the 30th we precinct. Was- Come on. Yeah, that's it. So, and so, yeah, my grandmother was like, no, you're not going to school down here. And so she ended up, um, her boyfriend, who was my grandfather, but she pulled him, they they fell in love and she was going crazy down there. My mom was like strung out. Um, It's so crazy. This is a long story short, but he was like, just come stay with me for the weekend. The weekend turned in forever. And we ended up going to school up there in Greenberg. Okay. I, I had a good education, quote unquote, from pre-K all the way to 12th grade. It was diverse. Um, we had Spanish every year. I didn't know that these were like a quality of a high, you know, quality education. I took it all for granted. I was horrible in high school. I used to fight all the time. I was a TV head. Um, so it was like, I really, I just didn't love school. And it's so interesting now because I re- I used to regret it for a long time. I felt so guilty about taking my my free education for granted um, as I got older and things were so hard for me. It's hard for me to learn things now because I didn't do it back then. And I only know it's hard now because of the things that I've read. And that's why I tap into you because I can tell that you have read a lot. Like when I'm reading things, doctoral theory, you're spitting theory in your, in your rants. 
you're hitting us. You're like, you're teaching theory a lot. And so anyway, back to this story. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I'm learning, I'm looking at my process and I'm like, oh my gosh, this was given to us, but I took it for granted. And so I barely got into college, high school. Um, I didn't know that you had to have good grades to go to college. No one actually taught us these things. Like they didn't really break these things down to us, at mm-hmm. least not to me and my mm-hmm. friends. So, but I had the worst grades. Everybody did okay. I was just like a straight D student. The only thing that brought me up was 11th and 12th. I got, a, I went to cosmetology school. So oh. they had like a trade school thing. And my teacher didn't let anybody else go but me. Everybody was mad. And now I understand why she wanted to separate me. I can get it now that I'm a teacher. I see the moves. Okay. I see <laughs> what they were trying to do there. But I ended up getting going to cosmetology school and there were all special educators there. So they broke everything down. That's when I realized, okay, I can do a little bit. I used to get straight 30s in math, like the regents and stuff. There I got an 85. Wait, real quick. Can you explain the regents? Because that is really some New York shit that sorry, nobody else New has York, to do. Sorry. And it is a mess. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> it, is a, it is very annoying. And we were the first year of the regents. You had to get a regents diploma for us. Um, but yeah, Regents is like a standardized test. New York wants to be better than everybody in education. So they do extra stuff. That's just that. Okay. And so, yeah, that, um, my Regents, I kept failing it. I failed it like three times. And then when I got the special educators, they really broke it down. Anyway, so then I wanted to go to school because I had to get out of my house. My house was really, really scary in high school, elementary school. It was a hard, This hard is not your grandmother. Week. My grandma. My grandma was very tough. Okay. Hard, hard, hard stuff going up there. So I wanted to leave and I was always fighting at home. I didn't want it like my, my, it, I just hated my neighborhood. I wanted to get the out of there. You know what I mean? In and hindsight, so, in hindsight, cause I do follow you. So I know you be doing like self work in hindsight, <laughs> in hindsight, do you feel like you see the connection around like how your home life affected your ability to receive education that was given to you? Yeah. And my grandmother dropped out of school in eighth grade. So she didn't know when we were fake reading. She didn't know what it looked like to not really be like all of it, all of the both sides. And then me going to school with fears and anxiety. I didn't even, none of that was addressed. A lot of it wasn't addressed. She wouldn't let us go to therapy. She didn't want us selling the business. So I know now like those kinds of things block you from being able to concentrate, which is why I would just go home and watch TV and feel that comfort from Pokemon or, yeah. you know, whatever was on at 205. And then, um, but yeah, fasting forward. You don't I have to I had rush. to go to school though. Okay, good. Because this is a vibe. So <laughs> I had to go to school. You know, everybody's low-key therapist. And I know we don't want to be Instagram therapists, but <laughs> this, I, I'm on my couch right now. So, um, but yeah, and I'm just grateful. So um, fasting forward though, I knew I had to go to school because I had to get out of there and, um, I didn't get into any colleges. I wanted to go to Howard. Everybody's like, go to Howard, go to Howard. So Howard was like, what are you doing? You're not coming here. You don't have the GPA. So that was not That was totally out. I got into Johnson C. Smith, which is way down in North Carolina. My grandmother's from there. She said, no, you're not going that far. And then um, mm. my guidance counselor, she said, go to Morgan. Morgan was letting us all in. Shout out to Morgan. Morgan State, Whoever like Maryland? Was there, Morgan State University was letting everybody <laughs> in, okay? All the girls that had the D averages... They was like, come through. And when we got there, it was all of us. Like, everybody was like, what was your GPA? What was your SAT? They let us all into pre-college. They had this grant. And that's when my guidance counselor said, Morgan has money. They're, they're going to let you in. So they let us well, all in. Well, shout to that guidance counselor, and by the way. She just passed away, too. Oh, she just, like, God, rest in peace. Like, she's, yeah, I wrote an essay about her. And so crazy. So she, well, she was like, go to, she knew I wanted to go to Howard. She went to Howard, too, but Morgan first. 
So she's like, go to Morgan, right? And then transfer to Howard. But I loved Morgan. I ain't leave. I stayed. <laughs> it was a vibe. Like I had so much. I'm still in Baltimore. So it ended up being a vibe. And when I went to pre-college, I got straight A's. That's when I realized I'm smart. I didn't know. It was my first time doing good in school. And I only did good because I didn't want to go home. I was like, all right, if I do good, they don't let me stay. So let me by any means. And I found myself studying, like really seeing like, oh, okay, I'm capable. I really, yeah. I'm not. Because I, I just thought I wasn't smart. I really had a fixed mindset. These are terms that I learned way late in life too. So, you know, now. Who made you I, think or what made you think you weren't smart? My grades. My grades, my grades was so bad. Like, and I never got good grades. Like, I always had the big D But you knew you wasn't doing shit. Red. I just, mm, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't equate it to being lazy. I just was like, it don't come easy. You know what it was? If it didn't come natural, mm. I just, and I, like, like Spanish, for instance, I'm half Dominican. So I'm supposed to speak Spanish. I thought I was just supposed to speak it. Like, I go to Spanish and I don't get it. And I'm breaking down. I'm crying. I'm like, wow. I'm cursing my teachers out. Like, I was really... And so that goes back to... Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> saying that one. But I, I didn't know... I didn't even know the curses yet. <laughs> Damn. That's the first I thing was, we learned. I was using the American one. Oh, okay. Bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they were coming... Yeah, they were coming to my grandma like, yo, she's... And then they would be... My grandma would, like, go off on me in front. Like, she was, she was never afraid to hit me in front of teachers. And then they would be... They would feel so sorry the next day. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know your grandmother was like that. And then, then they would be all nice and it right. wouldn't help. Like, okay. it was horrible, okay. toxic cycle of just fuckery, honestly. So, A fountain of I'm fuckery. glad I overcame. But now as an educator, I'm like, I can see who needs right. my help in that way. Because there's so many of us that don't overcome in that way, you know. So, Morgan, that. when you were at Morgan, did you feel... Well, in hindsight, do you feel like the HBCU of it all also had like an, an added effect for your experience? Absolutely. Okay, so I would have been a hoe. No disrespect to hoes because I did have a whole phase. That's later on in my process life story. Okay. Later. Ditto. Ditto. But Ditto. In, in college, I would have been, I really would have been out there if I didn't want to be a Greek. Like, I, I lived by, I really was like, I'm not going to these parties. I'm not doing, like, I was very not so wild because of certain standards at the HBCU. Are you agree? That, I am an AKA. Oh, okay. When your stuff was going down, I was all in the comments holding it down. With Thank you. Because <laughs> y'all, your sisters, I'm like, y'all. Yeah, sorry. Y'all. Sorry. It wasn't what are we doing? <laughs> but let me be quiet. I shouldn't even, let me I mean, listen, to eat, so, you know, your individuals. I mean, the truth is I was playing a character, but carry on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Offline. So I, but yeah, I, that saved me. I feel like that really, because we really just, we, I couldn't have a low GPA. You had to have a certain GPA. Okay. So I knew, okay, my grades got to be high so I can get on. Um, also, I was the vice president of the biggest female organization, all women's organization. Before becoming the VP, I was Miss Sunshine, which was like the social curator. And that, you know, back home, I was known for fighting girls. I was always <laughs> fighting. So going to school and becoming this like and lady girl. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just, I, again, that was something where I never would have expected to see myself in leadership in that way. And it gave me so much confidence. Like I ran for Miss Sophomore. My best friend was Miss Morgan. Like, so we really felt like that that changed me and made me see okay I can do anything. I really left college with a lot more confidence than I did than I had when I got in there. 
I love hearing still stories. had a fixed mindset though. But still had a fixed mindset. Because I didn't know those terms yet, sis. Like we, what I still is, what, didn't what know. Is the, what is the definition of a fixed mindset? So fixed mindset and growth mindset. That's Carol Dweck's um, stuff. She's up at Stanford, and she's basically shown that people who get things naturally or quick, they tend to have a fixed mindset, and when they get something that's challenging, they don't think they can do it. They'll give up. So, like for instance, social media. People who do well, they'll get all these likes, all these likes, and then one day they don't get it. They think, oh my gosh, what happened? What's wrong? And they just can't stop and say, all right, it's just this. I just need to to change it out. Yeah. Like it's just the mindset. And so, yeah, with the growth mindset is where you always look at things instead of it as a challenge, as something that's going to actually help you grow. Something that's not, you're not going to be stopped from it or block you or afraid of it, but it's going to help you grow. And so for me, Anything that was coming, like teaching became really natural for me because I always did it since I was 15. I worked at after school programs. But when it became, when things became challenging, I didn't know that I was shutting down because of my own fixed mindset. I didn't know until I started reading and figuring out that language, therapy, things like that. So that's stuff that I want to make sure that college students know because I don't know if we're giving them that language young enough. Like you shouldn't have to get it from theory. You should get it now. Is there a version of a fixed mindsetter who is kind of like the bridge, like is, is like in the middle where they like made their their initial response to something is the fixed mindset, but they've worked on themselves enough to where they can at least get past that with a little time and then work around it? Yeah, that's exactly the process of it, where you just recognize it when it happens. And then move forward from it. Because you're still going to have those moments. Our brains are just wired to do repetitive things. So you're going to have those moments where you're like, oh, shoot, that was my fixed mindset. Let me let me jump right out of that. And I mean, you know, you just anything is changeable. language for a conversation. <laughs> There's yeah, a conversation just YouTube, that's going to be YouTube had. YouTube her. <laughs> YouTube her video. You can get her. What do you think actually, I mean... Because I haven't read, you know, this woman's work, but this woman's work, um, I haven't read her work. But does, what does she talk about in terms of like things that develop a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset? Because I know I have a growth mindset and I feel like it's because early on I was given the opportunity to do a lot of different things and wasn't expected to be perfect at them. Like I wasn't expected to... Um, do piano and be, you know, uh, Mozart. I wasn't expected to, when I, when I was put in ice skating, I wasn't expected to become, you know, um, Surya Bonali. It was more so just like, I'm going to put you in this, try it. If you, if you, you know, if you fall or whatever, whatever, like it's not that deep. And when people ask me like, Amanda, like you seem so willing to try new things. Like you seem so fearless. I'm like, well, I think it's just because like everything that I've tried to do, it was always kind of just looked at like, oh, that's the thing that you were doing until you did this next thing versus like, that's the thing you failed at. Well, that's it. So you, you lived in the process of having a growth mindset and it does come from childhood. Um, when you have a fixed mindset, someone is using language with you, which one of the most, 
one of the most detrimental languages we, or words we can use is smart. When you tell someone they're smart, telling a kid they're smart instead of saying I have a whole have, company called uh, Smart Funny in Black. No. I know. That's okay. No, that's okay. That really does give us confidence. Trust me. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, that's, and that's needed to be said. It's needed. We need those words together. Like, we do. We know that. And so, but moving back to the other conversation, um, to using other language like your, your academic ability is growing or you're, you're academically capable so helping people to see like that the certain labels put you in a fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Um, you 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 described being able to just do you, and that's really what it is. If you put yourself in spaces where you can just be free to fall, fail forward, that's where you're just giving yourself that growth mindset. But the fixed mindset comes in where we're putting um, blockages on ourselves and thinking we can't go higher than these ceilings, and so that's just what we have to switch out. And we see and it, it so often from- with like black children, right? We see it so often. So for instance, like I have, um, you know, we do an internship with Smart Funny and Black every year. And part of our goal with the internship is to create an environment where you're learning without consequence. Um, because oftentimes when black folks are in like spaces like where we are not the majority and it's like one or two of us, like intrinsically you feel like I have to be perfect here or else they're not going to show me the regard or they're not going to show me the respect. And then you're also treated that way, right? Like it's not even just some imposter syndrome thing that you're making up. You're also treated like you better nail it. And if you don't nail it, it's like there's a, it's a reflection on like you, your family, your legacy, your community, et cetera, et cetera. And so it creates this fixed mindset of like, if I cannot do it perfect, I will not I won't do it. And then when we don't have that freedom to try, we can't learn. Like that's, you You learn from failing. And I just feel like I see so often like young people grow up to be adults who like are afraid to try because they have been put in positions where failing meant that they were impeded from like forward movement or even worse abuse, right? I mean- You're nailing it. You're nailing it. That's literally what she wrote in like chapter three. Damn, like, you know, I be knowing. Yeah, you're nailing it. I be knowing. You do. <laughs> That's it. That's the jingle. No, like I'm literally just thinking about like the difference between like me and my partner. Like, perfect example. Like we were putting up like this 15 foot black Santa, <laughs> this 15 foot inflatable black Santa on the front lawn, and like the front lawn is like it's not even a lawn. It's really like a hill with like a bunch of different drought friendly plants. Okay. Just so y'all are listening, we are not watering a lawn. I am not one of these people in Calabasas that has been getting in trouble. I, we have a lot of cactus and succulents. Okay. But it's like a steep hill. So we were looking at like, how are we going to put it up? And I was like, all right, let's try this. And he's like, nah, nah. Like, and the difference between us is like, I'll be like, let's just try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll try it again. Whereas he'll be like, he don't even want to do it unless he feels like it is absolutely positively 100% gonna work. And I'd be like, yo, like, why are you so rigid? But I feel like, nah, it's a fixed mindset, bro. It is. Just send him the YouTube video. I'm gonna send it. Cause him just he goes to sleep later than me. So. He's always tells me, you know, when you yeah, asleep, you I'm watching YouTube videos. Like you think I'm not, <laughs> you think I'm not paying attention, but I'm watching YouTube videos when you asleep. I'm like, all right, I got you. I got you. So tell me this. You go to school, you go to Morgan, you find out you miss Sunshine, all right? Um, <laughs> which, by the way, is like the opposite of my experience. I went to school and I was like, 
oh, I don't even like y'all. <laughs> like, I was like, they put me as a greeter at the Gap. I was like, why are y'all doing this to me? I don't want to talk to people. Please stop. Um, so you find out you're Miss Sunshine. You also find out that you are academically proficient, right? So you're not just smart. You're academically proficient. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. Yep. Um, but then at what point do you decide, okay, I've been able to teach, but now I want to make it a purpose in my journey. Cause when you go, when you went to Morgan, I'm sure that you didn't have a, you didn't know what your major was. Did you? Oh no. I always wanted to be a teacher. Oh, okay. I always okay. Wanted to okay. Be, even though I was a horrible, um, student, I always wanted to be a teacher. And that's why my teachers loved me because they, they knew, like, I, I almost failed English ninth grade, and my teacher came to me, and she said, I didn't know you wanted to be a teacher. The guidance counselor told her. And she was like, you can't get a D if you want to be a teacher. And I was like, oh. So from then, she helped me, and I, I loved English after that. But, um, yeah, I always wanted to be a teacher. I worked at um, the after-school program in my neighborhood with kids since I was 15. I always had, I always, in the summers, was a camp counselor, so I always had a heart for wanting to be a teacher. And you know, it's because that's all I knew. I knew I needed a job that I could take care of myself. I knew that I needed a survival, a survival like type job. If it wasn't for that, I would have probably met you way sooner because I would have tried to become an actress or been in radio or like I wanted to do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I don't. First of all, back in the day, it was way more competitive. Like now anybody could do YouTube and become something. Yes. But back, or, you know, like yeah. me, I can you y'all put my stuff. Y'all reposted me. And now people heard like, oh, we know you. Before, that was really, really, really hard. So I didn't want anything competitive. I wanted to be able to just pay my bills. And so my heart always was in teaching. But at five, I literally, somebody, I remember, I was like, I want to be a teacher because I know that I'll be able to take care of myself oh and I love gosh, children. Oh, my gosh, at Other kids were like, I want to be a dinosaur. <laughs> Valencia's right, like, no, right. I'm going to be an educator because it is a solid yeah. profession. That's it. <laughs> That is That's consistent it. and exactly. I gotta be able to pay these bills, baby. <laughs> oh my god, bless your yes. heart. So, oh. in becoming a teacher, what was the process for you? I know different people go through different routes. You know, Teach for America. You know, some people they decide they want to do professorships. You know, they some people go to a charter school. Like, what was your process? So, I was an elementary education major at Morgan for four years. And then once I passed the praxis, which I, I failed that three times, finally passed right before the school year started, I started teaching. All of my professors told us, don't get your master's straight out. Wait to see what you want to get it in. Like, see what your schools need. That was great advice. So I took a year teaching and realized I didn't have a special educator. There was no special educators helping us. What my is considered a special had, educator? A person who is certified to support students that have individualized education plans, which is an IEP. And a person who has an IEP um, may have ADHD, may or may not have ADHD, or may have um, a learning disability. Um, I use the word disability loosely. These are the terms, not my words. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also have, um, just let me see. So all of the words are like flashing before mm -hmm. my eyes, but I'm trying to condense it for anyone who, just if you think about special needs, that's what a special educator takes care of. Okay. We didn't have... We didn't have any. And so I was like, I need to become a special educator. So that's what I got my mm. master's in. And um, from then, I then experienced the situation where we didn't have a principal. Every school I was going to, there was no leadership. 
So I was like, all right, well, I knew I didn't want to be a principal in that moment, but I was like, let me get my degree to get that so that when I want to do it, I won't have anybody saying you can't. So I got another degree to be um, an administrator, supervisor. And that um, that was really good because it showed me the other side of things. And I really never want to be a principal after that. Yeah. But then, <laughs> and now I'm getting my doctorate in mind, brain, and teaching so that I can finish creating interventions. And so that's where I am now from looking at special education to be on the ground supporting our students to now looking at the design of what we give teachers to support our students. So. Girl. Smart, funny, and black. And had the nerve to think she wasn't smart. Had the nerve. <laughs> the nerve. So when, when I hear um, Governor DeSatan of Florida talk about how going to school to be a teacher is a waste you know, it's pointless. Like this is, they're not learning anything real. Uh, for me, I hear that and I hear, oh, this is somebody who literally doesn't understand that there's a unique skill set to being able to not only like handle a room of kids, but also handle curriculum in a room of kids and then move outside of that curriculum because the curriculum ain't shit to get what needs to be getting, to get needs get what needs to be gotten to that group of kids. But I would love for you to just give us some more insight into like, what was, what do you feel like you got intrinsically from going to school to be a teacher that you didn't have already in you? Since you knew you wanted to be a teacher since you were five, what, you are, you clearly already had like a natural talent. You had a gift for it. Like you had a passion, but what was it in that environment? If anything, that you feel like actually, helped shape you to be a, an even better educator? Um, that experience was invaluable for me. They sent us to schools. Like we had three different internships. We were in the county. We were in the city. So we got to see what it was like in two different places. We spent two years in that space where I was an assistant role. I was able to teach on my own. Those those are different than after school programs mm. and camp counselors. And you have to really be an apprentice. And I think there are countries overseas that require like long periods of apprenticeship for teachers. And I think that our country definitely needs that. So to say that the, the, the teacher education is not important is absolutely wrong. That's absolutely wrong. We, for me personally, I learned the look. Like <laughs> I practiced that, okay? <laughs> You don't look. learn that at, you know, you, you got to learn these things. Like they had us sit still. I mean, I look how I was a little tiny five foot two, a hundred pound teacher with kids way bigger than me. And I was able to get the whole room to sit still because I had this little look. But like you said, I, I was stern, but I was still loving. Right. These are things that you have to learn. Like it really is. Um, relationship is a part of theory that you got to get from school. You, um, people hate theory. And I think when it comes to educators, though, we have to rely on it because we think we know everything because we're teachers, but the reality is someone has already done the studies on all the things we think we come up with. We just have to take the time to look to see, did that work? Did that not work? And I don't think we're given enough time to do that. That's a whole different conversation from the question you asked, but 
Yeah, I, I really value the education I got at Morgan as far as elementary education and what I got from Hopkins for special ed, um, what I'm getting now. Oh, my God. What I'm getting now is a whole nother level. But Well, talk to I me really about what do you're think- doing now because I feel like when okay. you say mind, body, and soul for teaching, I know a lot of people are like, what, what is she talking about? I'm intrigued. <laughs> so um, mine, it's the Mind, Brain, and Teaching program is uh, it's based on neuro theories. So... I'll just talk about what I'm doing. I'm looking at students who are between the ages of 18 to 24 who don't want to go to college. Okay. And that they have either ADHD or ADHD symptoms. So because I'm recognizing that we're graduating them and the ones that we're like, yeah, you did great. They're going to college. You're doing great. They're making us proud. And there are some that are all, they're all making us proud, but you are a little bit like afraid, not me, not, I don't even want to use the word afraid because that's too strong. I I know people are listening and they take everything. Let me slow down a bit. I want to say it like this. People, my students that are 18 to 24 that are graduating that don't, um, that have IEPs or have symptoms of ADHD, they're not always prepared. Okay. And I don't want to just backlash the entire school system and say that it's our fault. I just want to create a a solution. And Mm -hmm. so what I'm doing now is studying the best practices because the studies already show they may not want to go to college, but they are more prone to starting a business. Interesting. They just, yeah, they are the number one students with people, not students, people between 18 to 24 who don't go to college are more prone to become 80 um, entrepreneurs, excuse me. However, they can't maintain it. They don't have the self-regulatory learning that it takes and the executive function. They, they are missing those things. And I know from my studies now that we're not giving that to them. So again, that's the stuff that I get to do on the, the curriculum design side where I'm now asking curriculum companies, how are you making sure that our students are going to be independent adults when they are no longer with us? Because I've been teaching long enough to see what they look like when they're 25. And they're like, Miss Clay, can you help me fill out this application for such an... And I'm like, but I thought we were going to have you be because I knew where you could go, especially in this day and age. I don't want to have to have those conversations when I know there are so many other ways. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, so yeah. That's what I'm doing with the doctorate level now. And how has that process been? It's been really, really tough because on the doctorate level, they don't give you what to read. You have to find everything yourself. And that was mm. hard, very boring. I don't like I don't like boring, so I had to toughen up. My mom Wait, passed away I... first semester. Oh, so, so the sorry. trauma of trying oh my bad. I'm going so fast. Sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, that trauma, I couldn't concentrate, sis. When I tell you mm-hmm. that, and then as soon as COVID started, my grandfather, the one that I told you, told my grandmother, come upstate. Mm-hmm. You know, they call Greenberg upstate, even though it's only 20 <laughs> minutes from Harlem. Everything's right. upstate. But he passed away, and I, like, my life was over. And I literally, I wanted to do so much, and my friends were like, no, no social media. No this. No, like, they literally mm-hmm. were like, no, we don't care about any of that. And I listened. I regret so much, but I'm like, no, I know that they... They, you know, you got to have that group yes. that's like, no, you're, you're, you know, and so even for you to come to me now and like, yo, your voice is important. I want you to talk about being a teacher. Like, that's a hug for me. Like that, that Good. feels like embrace for me, you know, and anyway, so yeah, like all of that happening, I, the doctoral process has been so hard. I even got, I got kicked out. I, I almost paused oh with saying God. it, but I can tell the journey I ended up, um, I ended up like, 
going through this whole thing. Now I'm on academic probation. And the only thing that saved me is because in at for my entire time as a Hopkins student from my first master's to now, I have only had a 3.8, all A's, only two B's. And so they're mm. like, yo, she's, this, this is, is what clearly she's clearly a phase. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yo, she give her one more chance. So now I'm like, all right, let me try my best. You know, so I feel really good though. Like it boosted my confidence back up and it made me sit still. Like, do I really need this degree? Do I really want this? Do I need to finish? Because this is the day and age of quick college. We can do it on our own. We don't need, we self, we're self-taught now. Like I understand that, but honestly, what I'm getting and the, the feedback that I'm getting, I'm learning what I needed to learn for Blossom Girls. So when we bring that back mm. and I come to you again, it's going to be so much more impactful. And that was, for me, my impact with Blossoms. I wasn't seeing what I wanted to see with my girls. So it's like, yo, we got to pause for a second. And so again, all that stuff happening was like that process, that journey. And so now it's like, I'm still a teacher. I'm teaching teachers and I'm loving this part. I never thought I would love this part, but I'm loving this part because I know that it's it's something, what I do can be multiplied and and I really want that to be multiplied. Yeah. I want to see it on a, on a large scale, but I want to make sure that it's research-based because I haven't done any research yet. I'm just looking at other piece, people's right. research. Right. So when I'm done, then I'll say, all right, let's squ- squat up, y'all. Let's yes. do these studies because we need people like us to do the real studies. But that's my, that'll be way next. I got to finish one thing at a time. If you don't mind, how old are you? 36. You're 36. Okay. I was going to let you off the hook, but maybe, maybe, no, you're 36. Okay. So I feel like my, maybe like two years behind me was like the last class that had to actually find books. Like we Mm. didn't have the internet to just Google and like find books. Like we had to go in the library and like, legit just be like, all right, where's the section? And I got to go through this whole section and kind of just table of contents this shit and be like, this might have what I need. This might not, this might. But I feel like that is not the the way anymore. Now you can kind of like Google. So my question becomes like, why is it so hard to find stuff to read? Okay, so you're not just looking for what to read. You're looking for the questions. You're like, what? what is the problem? You have to define the problem yourself. You have to mm. ask the question yourself. They're not saying, they're not giving you a word problem. They're asking you, what do you think the problem of practice in your context is? And then you have to so prove it. So you have to sit still and really be like, all right, is this the problem? Wait, no, is this the problem? And every time you think it's the problem, it's not the problem. That's a factor of the problem. And so that's why I'm, I, like, I tell people- People in our community, we tend to, to, to go to the factors and not the actual the problem. Root. And I was one of those people. Mm. Blossom Girls was hitting the factors. We weren't hitting the root. And so for me, it was like questioning myself, constantly questioning, is this the right theory? Is this the right question? A- am I even defining this correctly? Um, all of that made it really, really hard for me because I didn't know where I was going. I went in thinking I was going to research love. I wanted to prove that we need love in the classroom <laughs> I was really on my hippie stuff. And then the more I researched, the more I'm like, no, it's not love. It's self-regulatory learning. And then the more my students are coming back as adults that need support, I'm like, no, it's executive functions. And then the deeper I'm going with executive functions, the more I'm like, we don't teach that at all. How? What is executive function? 
That's your organizational skills, your oh. flexibility, your ability to say, I want to do this and actually do it. A lot of us have goals, but we don't know how to break those down and calendarize them and get things done. We just, we're just swimming out here, floating, especially in the hood, especially in the hood. Well, because it's chaos. Especially like. Because it's chaos, you know? And period. Chaos, organization requires stillness. And chaos prevents you from being able to even be still enough to do that. And if you're always looking over your shoulder or you're always trying to figure out what to eat or you're always trying to solve somebody else's problem, you don't get the opportunity to be still enough to look at your shit and quantify, okay, this needs to be over here. This needs to be over here. Like that's like a real thing. I mean, when I look at my privilege, a lot of times it shows up in things like that. Like it shows up in just like, oh... You're an organized person because you had peace. Like you just had peacefulness. So you were able to even have the energy and the the support to be able to look at things and do that. You have, I have executive function because it was drilled into me by an educator. But actually, you know what? I will say this. I actually think I was taught uh, executive function by my teachers in this. And you tell me if this is correct because you are becoming the expert. Um, my teachers were so adamant about how we kept our work. Like this teacher is like, it's a yellow folder. You need to have these dividers. You need to have it organized this way. They wouldn't just judge, they wouldn't just grade the work. They would grade the way the work is being kept. Like there was no throwing like your work in your backpack. Like that wasn't okay. And it wasn't like, um, it didn't feel regimental, but it really taught you like, this is how I can keep things in order. And then we were taught the same with notes. So you weren't just being graded on like the content of your notes. It was like how you organized your notes so that you can actually learn from them and study from them. Is that considered executive function? Yes, that is. And so the thing with executive functioning is that, well, not functioning. The thing with executive function, you're hitting the nail on the head. One of my professors wrote an article about the fact that it really does depend on where you're from. Some people have it because of the way that they were brought up, their environment, their school, their community. And some people don't have it or don't have it in the way that we think it should look because of where they're from as well. So you you hit it again. You're going to get your doctorate. You don't really, you're you going to get an honorary. Some Somebody going to hit you with you an know, honorary. I came, it's on the way. I came to LA in 2015, I was coming back to LA and I remember talking to my really good friend, Tommy, who was not my good friend at the time. She was literally uh, someone I had just gotten the opportunity to stay with because I didn't have nobody to stay with. And it was like, oh, you can stay with her. So <laughs> she's an exec at, NBC, at ABC at the time. And I'll just never forget this because she was like drinking this glass of wine and she was like, so what's the plan? And I was like, I mean, I want to move here, but I... I don't know how I'm going to afford it. And she was like, I mean, what did you get like a doctorate? And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was, I can see it. she was like, what if you get like a scholarship, like a fellowship or something like some type of like doctorate program. And I remember literally emailing um, Robin DG Kelly, who was my professor, who was my thesis advisor at Columbia for my uh, master's and who's brilliant. And I, Actually, you know what? I need to get Robin on this on this show uh, as part of my educator series. So I hit up Robin and I was like, you know, I'm thinking about like getting my doctorate and da 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 da. And he was just like, why? <laughs> and this is a 
Robin, who has like, I feel like Robin has like 65 doctorates. He was like, why are you trying to get a doctorate? And I was like, I mean, you know, because like I want to I move to LA and I, it could help me like financially. And he was like, in so many words, he was just like, girl, you ain't trying to get no damn doctorate. <laughs> but his reasoning was, he was just like, you don't need a doctorate for you to be effective on your path. Like your the purpose, like your purpose and the way that you're teaching and the way that you're like existing in the world, like a doctorate might slow you down more than it would speed you up. And so I was like, okay, I still don't know how I'm gonna move here, but thank you. Um, but I feel like the I just love hearing how poured into you feel from the work you're doing and I would love for you to talk about when you were in the school pro, uh, when you were in the you know school system, um, what that experience was like for you as a teacher uh, on the employee side, and what that experience was like for you as a teacher, like and how you taught your students. Um, so that's a good question. I'm gonna start with the student side because that was the good side. I loved being a teacher from day one. Um, it's so crazy. I kept failing the practice. I was working at Best Buy in Soho that summer, <laughs> and I was sold a team. Wait, the Best Buy on Broadway Lafayette? <laughs> I Girl, know I it well. Next to Urban Outfitters. <laughs> yes. I worked at Juniors that summer. I was on it. I got fired from, I think, one of them because it was Best Buy. They fired me because... They, you know, when they used to give out the free concerts in 42nd Street, they gave me a yes. Chris Brown concert it's in oh, yeah, one of the Nokia theaters. And I went to see Chris Brown. And I was like, yep. yes. And then I got to work. They were like, you're fired. And I was like, well, Chris Brown. <laughs> I had to do it. I, I had to do yeah, it. Yeah, I was there at Best Buy. And somebody called. I was on. I worked the phones. And they, it was like, somebody from 97 was like, blah, 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 blah. I'm picking up a TV. And I was like, Hot 97. So like can I work there? Like I randomly just shot it where he was like, yeah, I'll talk to you when you get there. So the night before the first day of school, I got a phone call from the same person. It was like, we want you to start tomorrow as the street team manager, which coming from like zero to nothing, that was like huge for me. I was like, oh my God. But I had just got the news that I passed praxis. That's oh my certification God. Exam. And I met my kids the week before. So I was like, I passed my teacher certification. I'm going to be a teacher. But I always wonder what you could have been, been you know what? That's so fascinating, though, because you said earlier in the conversation, you were like, you know, I, I always felt like I wanted to either be in like TV or radio, et cetera. And had you ended up like running their street team, you would have ended up on radio. Yep. There's another dimension happening right now where like it's like what's up y'all what's up new york it's valencia valencia here <laughs> yo shout out to angie martinez she was just on the air you know we picking yeah. up where she left off all right let's get into the next record like that's, that's happening it. like i want i want that for you like i, I, I want to see happen. that for you i really i'm like seeing it <laughs> that was like literally what i thought it was gonna be but the kids i met them that week before and i fell in love with them I, and i passed my test so from then like i love teaching i always had a really great relationship with my kids. I was always able to show other people how to do it for the most part. Um, but then on the other side, I did not have emotional intelligence as a teacher. I didn't even know what that was. Mm. And so okay. on the adult side, I would have a lot of, um, I didn't, I also hadn't read Shook Ones. Like I didn't, I didn't know anxiety stuff yet. You Shook Ones what? as in by Leonard McKelvey, yes, aka right. Charlene? Like, you know, the, okay. like there, all the language that people break down now, we mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't have that yet. So I didn't know that I was having anxiety 
attacks. I what I didn't get diagnosed with anxiety officially until my mom passed away, 2019. Wow. So all these this that was after 10 years of teaching. I was and so say, yeah. all of these things, yeah. And so even when I look back at my childhood, I told you I was cursing teachers out. That was anxiety right there in front of the, the class. Wow. But I didn't know anything about meltdowns or shutdowns or any of those things. I had no clue. I was not diagnosed. I also just didn't have the language. People in my family, we don't, you know, it's, we, nobody's talking about that in that way. So I say that to say a lot of my career on the career side, I was tough. People loved me, but it was very hard to work with me. And I got fired in New York. I was a victim for a long time about it. And, but I never spoke publicly about it because something in me knew it wasn't time yet. And I'm really glad I always listened to my inner voice because if I'd have told the story, then it would have been a victim story versus now where I really can see I did not know how to be an activist. I'm so glad I get to actually say this here because I know that we people like I know me and my friends that listen to you. We really are people who are on the ground. Like I do consider you an activist. I know you don't do titles, but I I feel like the way you speak. You on really do know my shit. Because <laughs> I really so do. What you talking about? Like, excuse me. This is my time with you. Like, <laughs> no, but for real, like you really are. You. You give me permission. You give us a lot of us permission. And so I say that to say, like, we we really do look at um, our I look at myself and I have to make sure that what I'm saying and how I'm moving, you know, I have to be cognizant of it. I forgot where I was going, though. So if you well, you were talking about how, you know, you're really happy to get the opportunity to speak about this on this platform, because yeah. as it yeah, relates to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I say I'm going to say it like this. A lot of us, we see you and other people. um, that are activists or speak on things. And then we go to work and we try to do the same thing. And I just have to say, that's not how to do it at work, y'all. Y'all cannot, Amanda seals y'all bosses in that same way. Like, if y'all want to see results, y'all got to put it in an email. And I'm telling you this from example, because I was at a very, very, like, if I was still at that school that I was fired from today, I would probably be in a whole different world right now because of the connections that she the person that started Mm. that school had. But I was so angry with her because of what I saw happening in that school and i'm sure today if i would have put those things in a nicely written email because that's the language they speak and i'm gonna give you a real quick example so last week i was presenting um to the teachers at this in wisconsin and it was great i was doing great but the teachers who didn't really like what i was doing they didn't say anything to me well what were you doing i was you were presenting but what were you Presenting their curriculum that they got to start teaching this year for just presenting things that they got to do some stuff was confusing for them I made a few mistakes, but everybody seems so cool. When you look at those reviews, they honey. lit me up, honey. That's that is how this is how that works. And so I say to do the same thing, like put it in an email, start your paper trails because our voices. Not to say that we shouldn't use them, but y'all got to take these. Y'all got to take steps, and I'll tell you, just take those steps first. Put it in an email to your principal. Put it in an email to the district leads. Like, just don't don't go in there in a space where you where you let your passion get you kicked out of that room and you can't make the changes that you could have made. And I know for my own, like my own mistake that I made, like I want to make a movie about my life one day and it'll show like that was that turning point of when my mouth got me in trouble because I really thought, and I, again, when I got fired, I was like, they fired me because I was advocating for my kids. No, they fired you because you were disrespectful, sis. Like that was disrespectful. Mm. How you said that it's not what you say it's how you say it. And I just thought, no, y'all, this is how I'm talking. This is how I speak. I'm not code switching. You don't have to code switch either. Like you can literally 
speak your, in your own language, but put it in a way that can be received. And that's the goal is for us to be received. And I'm rece I receive you, but my boss, and I don't even like that term because I don't want people to feel like we work for anybody. We work with you. We work with you. Right. Hashtag Damon Dash. But, but we, you know, I feel like at, at this point of our lives, we just have to rem remain um, smart about how we move. If we're going to be, if we're going to be in a space where we're kind of militant without being militant. And so to be smart, I think to work smarter is to use well, that finesse. email. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because it's the difference between, if we're talking about a militant, right? It's the difference between coming in with the brigade or being a sniper. That's it. It's both of it. Both of them are militant, but it's how That's it. you are approaching. And I think, I think, I hope that you're not hardening yourself about that because a lot of that is really just maturation. Mm -hmm. And what it really is, is the refining of your rage. Mm. And so much of our rage is just unfettered for a number of reasons. Like when you're talking about emotional intelligence, that wasn't just with the students, like that's just with yourself and knowing that like, oh, this thing I'm feeling is rage that is righteous rage, but it's not refined enough for me to know how to actually use it as a tool against the problem versus as a weapon that's going to harm me. And that took me a long time to learn. Like, I mean, and I don't think I really had, I didn't even have like people around me that would help me understand that. I feel like I was dealing with a lot of people that you probably had a similar ex experience where people are just like, oh, you're extra. Like, you're doing too much. Like, don't know. I had a, I had a boss who was like, you need to smile more because you're going to make, be, you're making people scared in this office. They think you're an angry black woman. And I was like, well, because I am an angry black woman. And I'm proud of that. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, whatever. Y'all got to deal with me. And... I realized that like I'm expelling all of this energy all of the time and it's actually like harming me. It's not giving me the energy I need to like actually disrupt the thing that's causing the problems. But I think so much of it is also just like learning a new way to be real. Like you're still you. You just create more tools on how to be you. You know, it's the same way like a rapper fits, you know, flips their cadence depending on the beat. Like that's just, you're still saying the same shit, but you're going to say it different over a Dilla beat than you're going to do it over a Swiss beat. And I think a lot of us oh, feel I like, oh, that's them changing me. Oh, that's them controlling me. It's like, nah, that's you reading the situation. And like when you watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like they be um, opposing sides and they have like all their little weapons laid out and then they'll look at each other like, I'm going to hit this nigga with the sword first, right? So then they come, they get the sword, they're like, ka, 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 ka. and then the person like fucks up the sword. They're like, damn, all right, let me go get another weapon. Like, let me get the spear. Da, 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 da. And it's like, depending on the scenario is the weapon that you have to choose. And I've, I've, I, I really relate to what you're talking about because that part where you said it wasn't that you was being an advocate, you were disrespectful. You know, there's a part of you that says like, because maybe they didn't deserve respect, you know? Right. <laughs> like, even when you said, they put it in, like, we was going through court stuff. But I dropped the case because I wanted to be able to talk about it. And they was going to make me not be able to talk about it if I took the bread. But in there, they put, I was angry, explosive. And I was like, that's right. If you ain't angry, you ain't paying attention. The fuck? Like, that's really how I felt. Like, but. And you weren't wrong. It's just it wasn't effective. Exactly. And that's exactly. really the vibe. And I feel like I feel like that's the thing. Like 
so often, sis, like black women hit me and they're like, how do I show up in my job like the way I feel, you know, or how do I, how can I be like you? And I'm like, first of all, I don't work for nobody. So we're already, we're already in like a different scenario. And there's a whole lot of risks that I take by not working for nobody, right? Like that's, <laughs> like that's not, I'm not saying that as like a flex. Like that's just like, that's the route that I went. And because of that route, I've, you know, I've had to move a certain way. And, and when, when people be like, oh, like Amanda, when she, I, you know, I have like this reputation that I don't even know where it came from, but this reputation, like, oh, like she's hard to work with. And it's like, Y'all don't even really see me working with nobody. Like, <laughs> like what are y'all talking about? But I know that when I work at places under folks, I have had to learn, like, this is a moment in the vision. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to bring my vision <laughs> all to this whole moment because they don't even deserve it. And I think so many of us, when we're in the workplace, we are so, especially if we love like what we do, even if we don't love who we're doing it with, we feel so stifled by not being able to like just live out loud in that workplace. But the real unfortunate truth is that we live in a world that has not developed to allow us, particularly as like black women, to live like that in majority of workplaces, Mm -hmm. we still bear a burden of like Valencia said, we still bear a burden of strategy. You know, we have to come into places and and strategy, you know why? Because we're still at war because it's a battleground against us on a regular basis, against, against our people, against educating ourselves, against us having power. You know, when we see people in certain positions and we think, Oh, like they're just so difficult. It's like, yeah, because they're like, you're not coming in here, like shaking up, this little piece of power that I have, like, this is what has given me purpose. And you're like, I don't even fuck about the power. I care about the kids. Exactly. (laughs) That's it. What? But it's, 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 it's really, um, it's really real what you said. And, and we, and outside of just like teachers, I know so many folks are listening and are just like nodding. Like people are getting cervical injuries, (laughs) nodding their head right now because, they are experiencing that. And I think in the classroom, we want our kid, we want to know that our kids are being taught by people who care about them more than the politics. So Valencia, what, before we head out, what would you, what are some words of wisdom that you would like to give to folks who are listening and are venturing into the educator space? I would say to make a plan for how you are going to make sure you have generational wealth. Don't rely on, you know, retiring as a teacher, even though you may want to also think about what you're going to do outside of that. Um, Just going Mm. in from the beginning, because a lot of times Fresh teachers, they start getting that money and you don't know where it goes. And you could take that and do a lot with it where when you start getting tired of being a teacher and you just need a break for a few years, you can actually take it because you, from the beginning, set yourself up. So, you know, I think teachers do need to take sabbaticals 
in the middle of their career sometimes. And a lot of us can't because financially we just can't. So I would just advise to set yourself up to have something where you can eat. You don't have to be fed when you need a, re- a breast, a break of not a breast, a break, <laughs> a rest. <laughs> um, are there any like books that you that you suggest folks read that helped you on your journey? Oh, yes. Let me see what we got over here. We got a little few things. We got our baby here. You got to read this. Hey! <laughs> no, uh, I, and I heard you say that you're going to get it to colleges. I think it needs to be in high schools too. There's a lot in here. So maybe I'll sit, I'll take some time to make like a lesson plan or something for it. Oh my God. Oh my God. That would blow my entire mind. Yeah. If I you need a lesson plan out of. I got see, you. Who, yeah, that's see a, that's the thing. Like, who knows how to make lesson plans? That's the thing. You get taught. You got taught how to make a lesson plan. I don't know how to make a lesson plan. School. Like, yeah, like I didn't even mention that part, but that I didn't mention because we're not even teaching how to, we're giving them lesson plans now. That's probably why I didn't even think about it. Everything is scripted. Yeah. Does that, do you feel like that is good or bad for school, for educating? It's, it depends on who the script is coming from. That's really like the script that I work with, they're amazing, but others, horrible. So that that's the politics again, because teachers are, are getting scripts and they don't want to teach that. And they can't even speak on it because the district bought it. And if they don't meet the standards of that curriculum, they might not have a job the next year. That was one of the reasons why I couldn't stay because I was like, I, I don't agree with this. I, I, you know, and I, I didn't, I saw different, the impact that it was having. And I really wanted to change that. And I really just needed time to do it. So couldn't do both. Well, I feel like (laughs) in due time, you will do that. I feel like, you know, what I love about you is you are unflappable. And I feel like, you know, for so many people, um, you know, you say you have a fixed mindset, but baby girl, you keep going though. You keep going and you keep growing. So, you know, it's fixed, but it ain't, it ain't. It is, it is not stopping you. And I will say again, my first exposure to you was you on a video in a classroom interacting with young people in a way that I had never gotten to see before. So when we think about what you just said, you just said that we have to stop the hate in our city. How would you define hate? Black on black crime. Oh no. There's no such thing as black on black crime. That is language of the oppressor. Everybody say the oppressor. Oppressor. There's no such thing as black on black crime. When we think about black on black crime, we have been brainwashed to believe that there is black on black crime. It's human crime. It's not black on black crime. People killing each other, white people kill each other too. People, you don't hear them call that white on white crime. It's just crime. Why is white crime just crime, but black on black crime is black on black crime? Because they rape. Exactly. Exactly. That's racism. We are not going to use language of the oppressor. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, y'all do have to go to lunch. Please clean up my room and line up. I know that you said that you feel like you haven't seen the outcome that you wanted to with the young women that you were working with. Um, I feel like time will tell. You know, time will tell. A lot of us, we got to go through. We got to go through a little patch, you know, a little desert. And then 
those those gems that were like drilled into us by the people like you who cared so much, those gems, they they're hard to, you know, pressure plus pipes, but it also makes diamonds, That's you true. know, and those diamonds, they 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 are hard to destroy and those they come to the surface and you're like, "Oh, right. I do have that tool cuz I remember that she had given me that tool." And then what you also remember is like, "Oh, someone loved me enough mm. to give me that tool." So let me let me actually get correct because I'm bugging right now. And I, I really, I feel like from what I saw, like you, you ain't you ain't nothing nobody can forget. So keep going, keep growing. I look forward to just seeing the study and the theory that you create so that we can be like, yeah, like this is the Valencia Valencia theory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, uh, De La Clay Bell, the De La Clay Bell theory says that da, 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 da. like that's, that's what I want to see. So best of luck with your studies and uh, you know, all of us, all of us send all of you the all, you know, we all, we all send you good vibrations to get through and deliver that doctorate and walk out of there. Doctor. De La Clay Bell. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for affirming me, for having me. This was so fun. Thank you so much. This was fabulous. So um, I will. we're going to create assets and stuff, and I'll let you know when we're going to put it out. But you are the first in our series. And um, I was really like, oh, we got to talk to Valencia. Yeah, that's... <laughs> when I think of educators who are just like, Magnanimous, you you come to my mind first. Mm. So I, that's like one of the few things I'll thank Zuckerberg for bringing me to you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I am in mutual love and respect. I'm so grateful. Like seriously, and I have growth mindset because of you. Seriously, like you literally, you always talk about how you changed so many times. How you just want, and people told you don't do it, don't do it, and you did it because you felt like like. You do embody it and give me that go. So it's definitely broke now. I'm to say that. A podcast network.